Storms are worth more than we realize, whether we want to admit that or not. All of us are in a storm, coming out of one or about ready to go into one. And they're all different, and sometimes they're very similar. It's in those times that God teaches us some really, really good things if we let him, if we don't bail out of them. And they come in all forms and fashions. They just do. We, you've sang in both the link and the main songs that attribute to God's goodness in the midst of the storm and how he can be close to you in the midst of those. And today we're going to address that, that storms are worth more than we realize. And, and if truth, if we're really honest about it, we would punt from the storms and just say, God, just keep the, the, the waters calm all the time. But we grow the most in the midst of the storm. And God also has multi-purposes for us to walk through them. And if we're really honest today, we, we would say that, you know, it's during those times that I leaned on God the most. This week was uh, the one-year passing of a very sweet lady who was part of the family of Grace Community, as was her husband, as are her kids now. In roughly a few years back, her husband was diagnosed with cancer, and we watched him fight valiantly and just bravely to the end of this cancer that riddled his body. I had the opportunity with him and a group of others to smuggle Bibles into China with him from Hong Kong, and I watched him do it bravely day after day, multiple times a day with Bibles on his back, and then to watch this man who God had grabbed a hold of his heart and and then in turn grabbed a hold of his wife and his children die of cancer, and so we grieved his death, and then Not much long after that, his wife was stricken with cancer too. And I remember many of us thinking like, what is going on? Like, And then to know that there were two precious kids that were in the midst of this horrible, horrible, difficult storm. And yesterday marked the one-year passing of a sweet lady who um, attended here and worshiped with us. And uh, I saw her picture appear on social media. It was somebody's time hopping. It's been a year since we've seen Cheryl. Cheryl and was part of our small group ministry at our house. We watched her through her last days. We, we saw her come to small groups in, in pain, just riddled with pain, yet praising God in the storm. We watch her children now standing above this storm and, and valiantly and bravely and courageously pressing on. It's in these kind of times that we ask ourselves these questions like, God, why? Like, why me? Like, did I do anything to deserve this? What's your purpose behind this? And, but here's what I've come to learn in my 53 years of life is this. Is storms are more or worth more than you realize. And, and sometimes you don't see it in the midst of it. But sometimes it's days and weeks, maybe years later that you say, that's why. Like, thank you, God. I want to show you a story today of a man who, who weathered an incredible storm, who worked his way through, who stood above it, who trusted in the midst of hopelessness, who got to the end of it, and he learned a very, very valuable lesson that I'm convinced he didn't know was going to take place until after the storm took place. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 27. Turn to Acts chapter 27 and verse 9. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. We have plenty of them here, and the ushers will put one in your hand. 
But turn to Acts chapter 27, and we're going to read verses 9 to 20 of Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27, verses 9 through 20. When you find that, stand with me, and if you don't have a Bible, stand with me as we read God's Word. Acts chapter 27, verses 9 to 20. Acts 27, 9 to 20. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to Paul, said, Follow the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard when they passed the ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Citrus. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. With such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. You may have a seat. Doesn't sound like a vacation to the Bahamas. Very, very difficult time. Very, very challenging time. And even the text says that they had given up hope that they would even be saved. Paul finds himself on this incredible journey on this ship. He's a prisoner. He's chained. He's, he's not able to, to be in charge. But in light of that, even though he was a prisoner, he tried to warn the sailors, hey, we shouldn't be sailing during this time. This is the worst time to sail. And as they began to sail, they didn't listen to his words. And he warned them, we could lose our lives. Yet they pressed on. And now there's this battering of wind called the Northeastern Eastern storm that has hurricane force. And all the people above this vessel are about ready to, to die. Here's what I know about the storms of our lives. They're inevitable. You will face them if you're not sitting in the midst of a storm that came out of nowhere. Like, maybe it was last week. Maybe it was three weeks ago. Maybe you slip and fell on the ice. Maybe, maybe it was something at school. Maybe, maybe it's a relationship issue that you never thought would happen. Maybe your husband left you or your wife left. Maybe everything that you thought was secure in your finance is now unstable. Like, it came from nowhere. Storms are inevitable. And all of us who sail on the sea of faith know before long that they will come. 
And what we need to realize is this. They're worth more to us than we realize. And so if we finally get that down, that God is in the midst of the storm, and there's something valuable we can learn from this, we don't bail, we don't punt, we let it run its course, even though we don't want to. Even though there's times when we say, God, take this away. It's often in the midst of the full journey of the storm that we come out on the other side fully aware that that's why. Look what God taught me. Often these storms come when we're already running behind schedule or the bills are piling up and then another bill comes unexpectedly. Often they come when your truck or car already needs a brand new exhaust system and then your brakes go out. Often they come when you're not feeling well. They come when you and your wife already feel divided because of an earlier disagreement. They come when you have a deadline at work and you're running behind and all of a sudden a machine breaks down or a part that you've been producing has a, a defect in it. They come and they come and they come and it seems like you can't take them and you get to the place that the author of Acts, Luke, says that you feel like there's no hope, I can't go on, let We can't be saved from this. They often seem to hit the hardest when you already feel weak and unable to press on. It's like, God, what are you doing to me? Why do you keep bringing this? Can't you see I can't take another death? Can't you see I can't handle another phone call? Can't you see I cannot go on another day until this is fixed? Paul finds himself on a ship headed to Rome. He's already in chains. So every time you read this account, and today, picture him. Picture him literally chained, ball and chain to his ankles. Picture him chained with, with chains around his, his, his waist and around his wrist, connected together. Picture him thinking like, boy, if this ship turns upside down, I am not going to be able to swim. Picture him knowing that this is as difficult as it could ever be for him. And then he reminds them in verses 10 to 12. Don't go. Don't sail. We're going to run into gale force, hurricane force kind of storms. They were headed for disaster and Paul knew it. Have you ever known that the forecast is gloomy? And you know that if you go there, you go to that house. You know that if you make that conversation, you know that they're not ready for it. And yet you're forced to go there. And you're like, oh, this isn't going to go well at all. That's where Paul's at. He's facing the northeastern storm. And they were hoping for the best, but Paul knew better. He tried to convince the sailors, don't go now. Wait, wait, wait. Yet they didn't. And the northeastern sailors knew they would be helpless when this one hit. You see, God knows what our northeastern is. And he allows it to come our way. God doesn't always protect us from the storm. There are times he does pull us out and calms it and rescue. But there are many, many times he lets us feel the full brunt of it. He lets it run its course so that we can be refined in it. So finally, the storm hits. They bring in their only lifeline. And then the text says in verses 14 to 20 that they take a rope. Now picture if you can, the ship is barely, barely able to stay afloat. And they take a rope and they throw it out into the water. They run it underneath. I don't know how they got it under the ship. And they bring it up on top. And it says they literally tie it or fasten it such a way, trying to keep the ship 
from busting apart. Like that's their best answer to this incredible storm. They find themselves depleted of strength and energy. And then in verse 20, look again at verse 20. The author Luke here says this. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all what? Hope of being what? Have you ever been there? Maybe like right now, like you have this ailment. You're like, it's the same as it was last week. It's the same as it was two weeks ago. It's not getting better. And there's this little voice inside of you that's saying, it's not going to get better. So just give up. Run from God. Don't trust in him. And so they're giving up hope. It's been two weeks of sailing, 14 days. And yet the storm continues to rage. Have you ever felt like you couldn't take it anymore? Have you ever felt like the author when he says, I give up all hope of being saved. Like, this relationship would never get better. Like, that situation will never change. My kids will never run back to Jesus. It just won't happen. And that's where they're at. Paul, a prisoner, with many other prisoners, about ready to drown, thinking that it would never get better. And all you hear as you cry out to God in the midst of it is complete silence. But you know that you know that you know he's with you. But you just want to hear from God, what's the time or what's the date? When will this thing be fixed? It's like we need to know. But God says, nothing, it's quiet. And he says, hold on, child, hold on, son, hold on, daughter. I'm with you and I'm going to walk you through this. And there will be a day down the road where you'll fully understand the full brunt of this storm. And there'll be a day down the road that you'll be able to stand up and you'll be able to say, thank you, God. Thank you. Maybe it's hit you because the girl you thought you would marry has a change of heart. Maybe it's hitting you because the husband that you wanted so badly to go for counseling says, no, I don't need counseling. Maybe it hit you these last couple of weeks because the bank sent the eviction notice and you've been unemployed for weeks. Maybe it hit you this week because you're grieving the loss of a miscarriage of a precious child. It's the silent grief. Luke wrote, finally, they gave up hope. His options are gone. The doctor shakes his head and says, I have no answers. That's as good as it's going to get. So what do you do then? Like, do you press on? Can you press on? Or do you punt? Do you, do you try to swim away and go in an opposite direction? Here's what I know to be true from wavering storms in my life and seeing the full brunt of them getting to the other end is there are times that God can settle any storm, but he doesn't mean he will. And all of us know that to be true, but yet wouldn't we like to say, God, make this one of those times where you just take the storm away. But often God just said, no, I'm not going to calm the storm, but I'm going to calm you. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to show you that I'm there as any parent would be. I want you to grow through this. Just when you think God should step in and stop the storm and you can't take it anymore, he decides not to. Look at verse 21. So the storm is raging. Look what happens next. After they had gone a long time, it says, without food, Paul stood up before them 
and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. It's that person who always stands up and said, I told you so. Don't you love those friends? And you know they're coming and you just like, oh, I don't want to hear it. Go ahead and say it. I told you so. If you would have listened to me and you would have been spared yourselves this damage and loss in verse 22. But now I urge you to keep up your courage. Put your brave on. Because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be what? What's it say? You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your what? What's he say? Courage, men. For I have what? Faith in God. That it will happen just as he what? Told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now pull away for a second. Picture this if you can. The ship is ready to literally flip on its lid. And the only word of hope that you have is this man who's a prisoner, standing in chains, ball and chain on his ankles, chains to his wrist, tied to his waist. And he's like your word of encouragement. He's saying, listen, God came to me last night and said, it's going to be okay. And you're like, if God came to you, what are you doing in chains? Seriously, would you listen to a man who was in ball and chains? Like, but he was the only voice that could stand up in the midst of the storm and say, look, and he couldn't get any higher than this. We're going to be okay. God told me. And if I was there, say, then God needs to tell me too. Yet Paul wanted to speak courage into this group, if not only for himself. He spoke it bravely. He put his brave on and He spoke courageously to these people. And he says, last night, an angel came to me and told me not to be afraid. And so, I'm telling you, he told me this too, that not one of you will die. (laughs) Boy, he's kind of seasick, isn't he? After 14 days. This quiet calm filled his heart. It's the same feeling you and I have had on many occasions Before, but somehow you wonder if this time it will ever come. You hear a message maybe, or you listen to a song, or you receive a phone call or text at that incredible opportune time. Like like you're, you're wondering if you can go on and someone says, listen, I just prayed for you. God loves you. We're gonna do this. And it's that voice from another brother or sister at the most opportune time says, hold on, hold on, hold on. And that was Paul's word to these veteran sailors and prisoners who were on this battered ship in the midst of a hurricane storm. God came to him in the storm and said, do not be afraid. God says, I'm here in the storm. I haven't left. But instead of stopping the storm, I'm going to comfort the child. I'm going to show you that with my help, we can get through this. It is in that moment with the rain beating upon our bodies and being pounded emotionally, physically, that we have a glimpse of hope to press on. God is in the storm. It's the parent who knows that the child must go through that. And even though you want to reach in and like, no, no, I don't want him 
to experience that. You want to grab them and pull them out of the way. But you know, they must experience that storm in order for them to grow and to mature in their faith. And every parent wants to jump in and say, I don't want you to feel that pain right now. You shouldn't have to go through that. But the parent wants to jump in. But no, God says, no, I'm not going to reach in. I'm going to let you experience, but I'm going to walk with you through this so that you can be mature, strong, able to face anything in life. It's a beautiful picture of a parental love to his kids. You see, our faith grows best when we have to use our faith. Sometimes God just wants to show us how much we really need him because we can become very sufficient, especially men. Like, I got this one covered. I'm doing okay, dudes all the time. Like, how are you doing? Fine. How are you doing today? Fine. And then you find out later they, they've been battling this sickness, this, this, this addiction, this struggle. And sometimes God just has to stop in and, and revisit us again and allow us to walk through the storm till we finally get depleted of ourselves and we lean completely upon him. Look what happens in verse 27. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea When about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land, they took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet. That's not good. That means you're going to hit ground. Verse 29, fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Just picture that. All right, this is our last hope. Anchor, anchor, anchor. Please, daylight. It's this hopeless feeling that they're experiencing. They dropped four anchors. And in verse 30, it says, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea. Some guys even said, I'm out of here. I'm taking a lifeboat and I'm getting out of here quickly. Pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Picture that if you can. Like some of these guys think, well, my only hope is this lifeboat. Like, and so they cut it. They cut the ropes and they watched it drift away. Now even more so, they don't have anywhere to go. The only hope is that somehow they swim to the shore or this vessel that's tied with ropes will not be broken into pieces. Two weeks of torment, of of bruises, of scrapes, of blood, emotional strain. And they were in the midst of the storm. You see, here's what I know from experience, and you know from experience, but we don't like knowing it from experience. If you avoid all of life's abrasions, you will never be polished enough to shine. See, if we avoid all of life's abrasions, we will never be polished enough to shine. In other words, if we don't feel the full effect of of this horrible storm, then it pounding against us, beating against us. It has the ability, because it's hard to literally, uh, the abrasion, the rubbing, it polishes us. So there comes a day after we've been through it that we literally can shine and say, look what God did. He 
got me through this. And many of us want to punt, want to escape where we don't get the full polished treatment. It's just in and out. And God says, no, I want to polish you so that you can stand one day and say, by faith in my God, this is what he did for me. So what do you do in those times? You pray out loud and hoping that God audibly will speak loudly to you. You wonder if he's really there. You pray once more. You pray, Lord, please do something. See, the Bible is loaded that, that we are overcomers. The Bible also tells us that, that overcomers inherit the right seat or get to sit with, at the throne room of God. The Bible also tells us that overcomers are able to rule over the nations. The Bible says that overcomers make it to heaven. The Bible is littered with being an overcomer. But here's, here's, here's the truth in that. You can't be an overcomer if there's nothing that you have to overcome. And yet we don't want to overcome, do we? Like, well... Jim, you can go through it. I'll learn from you. Like, somehow you stand above it. Just tell me the stories and I'll amen and praise God. No, it's an individual journey. And all of us have to walk through these periods and storms of our lives. We have to face them on our own so that we can become overcomers. Some even try to take it into their own hands and they wanted to jump ship and take the lifeboats to the shore. But Paul says, no, 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 no. Remember that angel that spoke to me? He's standing there in chains. Oh, centurion, don't let him go. Don't let him go. God told me that we all must make it together. So if they go, it's not going to work. Somehow he convinced these veteran sailors and centurion soldiers to stay together. So we battle on because we know the Lord is in control. Look what happens. Look at verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Now, come on. Can you imagine that? Like, come on, Paul. What do you mean? Not one hair from my head? Have you taken a look at the water lately? And he says, no, you won't lose a single hair from your head. Verse 35, after he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were how many of them? 276 of us on board. Verse 38, look what it says in verse 38. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Picture that, by the way. They hadn't eaten for two weeks. There was all this grain, and after they ate, they felt good. And then they said, well, now that we're feeling good, let's lighten the load. And they throw their food away. They threw the lifeboats away. The storm is still raging. We battle on because we know the Lord is in control. They had been in constant suspense for 14 days. 
Yet Paul says, not one of you will lose a single hair from your head because my God visited me a couple nights ago and he told me, do not be afraid. And he promised me this, that at the end of this, we will all be standing and we will be saved. We only need to trust him and not punt and not run. We need to feel the full abrasion of this so that we can be polished and be able to shine again. I love the attention to detail here in verse 37. Luke puts, there's 276 on board. Have you ever wondered why? Like, like, did someone take time to count while all this was going on? Like, hold it, let's have roll call. One, two, three. Why, why the attention to detail? Well, Luke is a physician. We know that by, by profession. So he's a man of detail. But why? Why would he count and say, there were, there, he reminded us there was 276? Because... He wanted to be able to say at the end of this storm, God is good on his word because all 276 are still here. See, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to prove that God is good on his word. And he knew they needed to know that. So he lets them know when God promises something, he will never go back on his word. Watch what happens next. I mean, look at verse 39. When daylight came, it says, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a what? What's the word? Sandbar and ran aground like that didn't that plan didn't come together good did it the bow stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken into what pieces by the pounding of the surf it's just the soldiers then planned to kill the prisoners of which Paul was one of them to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. I'm not sure how he did that, only it was the miraculous intervention of God. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the land safely. This is a bold step here. Paul was a prisoner with these soldiers. And they were not going to take any chances that any of these prisoners would get away. And so the centurion soldiers said, hey, let's just kill them. Because if we don't get all them to Rome like they're supposed to, if we don't get them to the destination, if we don't do our job correctly, then it's our life for their life. And yet somehow the centurion who had the favor of God on him and who had Paul's favor said, no, 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 no. We're not going to kill any of these prisoners. It's going to be okay. I know it looks pretty bleak right now, but listen... Paul told us, remember, God spoke to him in the middle of the night. And he told us, if we stay together, so if you can swim, jump. If you can't swim, get a plank and start paddling to the shore. It seems like literally that all hell has broken loose in Paul's life. Like, like, where's God? Like, you're telling me that God is in that? You're telling me that the vessel that I'm living in and staying on, falling to people, you're telling me that I got to swim to the shore? That's what God wants? You're telling me I can't even swim? 
And you're telling me I've got to jump in that water? And you're telling me who, who my name is Paul, an apostle of Christ? You're telling me, God, that you wanted me to swim with these chains? You're telling me that you're with me? Yeah, I'm with you. And remember, I promised you. I promised you, and I'm good on my word. And even though this storm is, is, is very, very difficult, and it feels like it's going to take your life, I promised you that you will make it through. Don't punt, don't bail, don't walk away, because this abrasion will polish you, and it will make you stronger at the end of it. So they had to swim for their lives. Look at verse 43 and 44 again. It says, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept him from carrying out the plan. And verse 44 says, the rest were to get on the planks. In this way, everyone reached the land. God spared Paul while the wind and storm were growing wilder by the second. God wanted all of them to experience the full brunt of the storm. He wanted them to feel totally helpless. He wanted to know that while the world is crumbling around them and while the world is crumbling around you and while you feel like you can't take more and you're even, you're overwhelmed to the point of death, he wants you to know that at the end of this, he will still be there and you'll be better for it. Maybe that's why James said this in James chapter one about storms and trials and he said it this way, and Eugene Peterson says in the message, he says it this way. Just listen to it. It's a fresh translation in James 1, verses 1 and 2, about our pains and our trials. James said it this way. Consider it a sheer gift, the trials that you face. Like, how often do we, like, praise God for that gift. Okay, put a bow on it while you're at it. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely, James says. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. James says, walk through it so that when you get to the end of it, you're not deficient. You're able to weather the next storm. You're able to encourage the person who's going through a storm. You're able to stand at the end of it, polished in a fresh way by faith and say, look what God did. And after the storm is often when we see more clearly God's purposes. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes it takes years. But often, right after the storm, we see his purpose clear. And in this case, it's unbelievable. Look what happens after the storm. Look at, look at chapter 28, verse 1. It says, once safely on the shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual what? Kindness. They built a what? Like, I like these guys already. And, and welcomed us, all because it was raining and cold. Verse 3, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood. I would have loved to have seen that as he was chained up. As he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul did what? What's the word? Shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no what? Ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, 
they changed their minds and said he was a what? God. It's like, how did that happen? Like he's got this viper hanging on him. And normally in, in that day, if you had a viper, you got attacked. They believed that somehow you were, you were a murderer and it bit him and he just shook it off, threw it in the fire. And they were like, he's dead. Let's, how long is it going to take? They were making bets. 10 minutes. I bet 10 minutes. No, he survived and they thought he was a little G because of that. Look what happens next in verse 7. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. Luke says, he welcomed us to his what? And showed us generous what? Hospitality. For how long? Three days. Now look, look what happens here. Uh, this, is, this is God at work. Look at verse 8. His father was sick in what? Bed. Suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him. And after prayer, placed his hands on him and what? Healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick, listen, the rest, all the rest, anyone that was sick on the island came and they were what? Cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Picture this if you can. Try to, try to picture this, and I did. I love jumping into the text of these narratives. Picture, if you can, this father who was sick with fever and dysentery, and this son who had been, like, praying, oh, God, please, I pray that you touch my dad. He's not doing well. And he's on this remote island that, that these sailors had never been to, and he's praying, Lord, please, bring healing, like, Bring a deliverer, God. Would you bring a physician? Would you bring someone that, that, that can give him something to take care of this dysentery and this fever because he's going to die? And so I see this picture of, of this son praying for his father and wondering, where's the help going to come from? And then one day he looks out across the sea and he sees 276 people swimming towards him. <laughs> come on, you ever think he thought that was the way it was going to happen? And then he sees guys on planks, they're paddling. I'm coming, I'm coming. You see, while Paul was walking through this storm, if he would have bailed, if he would have walked away from it, if he wouldn't have praised God in the midst of this storm, he would have never gotten to the end of this. Because while he was just concerned or could have just been concerned about him, God heard the prayer of a son somewhere on a remote island. It says, send me help. And he sent help by sending this storm with 276 men of one by the name of Paul who became God's deliverer. And not only that, it says that while he was at it, word spread on the island. And you know what happened? All the sick came. Like, hey, there's a guy named Paul. He's in chains. And he just prayed for, for the father. And he was healed. And, and how'd he get here? Well, he swam. You better come quickly. And so they all came. And, and probably mother's prayers were answers. And fa other father's prayers were answers. And siblings and aunts and friends and uncles who had been praying for the sick Alan that sounded like you didn't want to go there. Like, like you don't want to spend time there because you would get sick too. And they began to pray. And God sent the deliverer from a battered, broken ship that, that was busted and, and chained. And he brought healing to a group of people that he loved just as much as Paul did and allowed him to go through the storm. 
So I pull away from these kind of stories and I say, huh. I wonder what he wants to do for me and how he wants to use me when I'm in the midst of this storm. And so I often think, I wonder what Alan I'll end up on. I wonder who's praying out there that needs encouraged because I've just walked through this and I can go up to him and say, hey, hold on. (laughs) Hey, this is what God did for me. You know what? He can do that for you. I wonder that remote kind of coincidental contact that I'll find at the end of this journey or will it be a divine appointment that God has orchestrated from the foundation of the world? Listen to me. Please hear me out on this. Don't ever shortcut the storm that God wants you to walk through. He'll walk you through it and when you get to the other side of it, you will see more clearly that it's worth more than you realize. See, here's what I know to be true from my experiences and your experiences. God will never waste your pain. Never. He'll never waste it. You might be saying, but God, this is hard. God, you know what it's like to have my husband leave me, my wife leave me? You know what it's like to be a single mom and a single dad? You know what it's like to have this sickness? You know what it's like to have this concussion? You know what it's like to be bankrupt? You know what this is like to not have any friends? You know what it's like this woman that I thought I was going to marry says no. Do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's like? And God's going to say, I know what it's like, and I've been with you, and I'm walking you through, and you're going to be a polished Christian, and your faith is going to be strong, and you won't be deficient in any way, and you will be able to do more than you ever thought you could, and you will be an overcomer because of it. I picture this because I know Luke wouldn't have written it. There was some point on this island, like, because someone, like, someone counted, didn't they? Someone knew there was 276. Someone said, wait a minute, got to count. Just see if God is good on his word. (laughs) All right. Line up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 276. And someone said, he did it. He did it again. And then Luke writes this little post-thought in verse 10 of chapter 28. Look what he says. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with supplies we needed. They got back what they lost. Maybe God was saying, even though your life is being ripped apart and nothing seems to be going right, I am here holding your hand through the battle. Maybe right now he's doing what every parent would do for their children, allowing their children to learn from the hardships so that they will be able to face anything down the road. And because of that, You will be fully mature, James says, developed and not deficient in any way. One of my favorite Christian contemporary music groups is Casting Crowns, and I've seen them in concert a few times, and I've been ministered to them by their words, their songs. There's times I've listened to their music, it's as if God is speaking directly to me. It's brought healing to my heart. It's brought joy to, to my being. And just recently, the lead singer of Casting Crowns, Mark Hall, was diagnosed with cancer. And so just recently, even this week, I believe, or last week, he had a kidney removed 
to help remove some of the cancer in his body. Mark Hall is the lead singer of this group. And in 2006, Mark Hall, who's the lead singer of this group, wrote a song along with Bernie Herms, who is Natalie Grant's husband, a song called, I Praise You in the Storm. You know, when I think about stuff like that, it's like God was setting him up to be prepared to sing this song to the masses, of which many of us have sang and just, I praise you in the storm. That somehow God knew in the grand scheme that while you're writing this song, Mark Hall, that there will be a day when this song will speak to you. And this song speaks. Listen to some of the words of this song that Mark Hall is now fully understanding and being ministered to himself. It says, I was sure by now, God, you would have reached down and wiped away our tears Stepped in and saved the day. But once again, I say amen, it's still raining. As the thunder rolls, I barely hear your whisper through the rain. I'm with you. And your mercy falls. I raise my hands and praise the God who gives and takes away. I'm going to ask you to stand in closing in the main and the link. And we're about to sing this song in both venues. And I don't know where you're at. Maybe this is your time to say, God, I'm going to praise you in the storm right now, God. Maybe it's just you quietly just being baptized by this song and washed by this song. Maybe it's you prayerfully interceding for someone else. Because here's what we know. Our storms are worth more than we realize.